We are back. Thank you for sticking around through that commercial break. And we are joined by none other than Jimmy Song. Jimmy, how goes it down in the great state of Texas? Well, it's uh, it's like all coin central at the moment because of uh, of what's going on. But um, but, you know, you know, uh, that big Bitcoin plus plus was the last couple of days. I got to speak at it. And that that's a very good developer conference. Um Hats off to uh, uh, Nifty Nay and uh, you know the team for getting that together, um, especially in the face of all the altcoinery that's going on. So yeah, I wonder. Like, I remember at Bitcoin Twenty One, we had a few randos like standing outside with signs, essentially like trying to say like, "Oh, Doge is a better coin than Bitcoin," or whatever bullshit that they wanted to do, and. I, Jimmy, I'm kind of expecting you to go stand outside of consensus with like signs saying Bitcoin is the only crypto. There's no, no second best. Whatever, whatever you want to put on the sign. But what would your sign be that you're gonna hang out and hold in front of consensus? What would it well, say? I, I, honestly, like uh, I, I'm actually speaking at consensus twice. <laughs> so I, I'm speaking once tomorrow and once on Saturday. And the deal that I, I made with them was, okay, I'm going to speak about Bitcoin only. And I, I, wa I want to make sure that I communicate the message of Bitcoin to these people. Uh, so, you know, my, my talk um, tomorrow is, is going to be about fees and what, what the outlook of that looks like uh, with a bunch of other people. Um, and on Saturday, I'm going to talk about Taproot to a Bitcoin-only audience. At least that's what's supposed to happen. So I, I think uh, my, my message would be something like that, where, um, hey, guys, like, stop wasting your time on these timeshare presentations. Like, let's, uh, let's talk about Bitcoin instead. Because, I mean, basically, every, everything else is going to be timeshare presentation-like. So I will not hold it against you. And I will very proudly say, hey, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the video were to circulate of Jimmy Song just interrupting one of these shit quarter presentations. That's all. That's it. We don't have to talk more about consensus. Yeah, I, I don't know. We, we, I like, you, you know, my history with it. I, I had that famous uh, thing uh, going on before. So, you know, I mean, I'm not opposed to doing stuff like that. And, and certainly I could go wear my black hat and all that, but. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if that's uh, that's something that they're really interested in at the moment. So, yeah, it is what it is. Fair enough. Um, before we dive into this week's song sheet, we had a lot of news coming out of the regulatory space. And as one of the authors of Bitcoin and the American Dream, uh, I'd love to just get your initial thoughts or reactions on this bill that was is being proposed by Senator Lamas and Gillibrand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so very exciting bill. Um, It'll, it'll give a lot of reasonable sounding regulations. Uh, for example, um, you don't have to report anything under $200, uh, especially like lightning payments and things like that. Um, and they don't, they don't have to go through the tax regime or the, the, the you know, IRS or anything like that. And, uh, and that, that's huge because then, you know, uh, a lot of the sort of like smaller payments that we make at Bitcoin conferences and stuff like that can be taken. Um, I think originally that was supposed to be 600, but it got brought down, I guess, in negotiations somewhere. Um, it's also exciting that you have a Democrat on board, not just Lummis, but Christine uh, Gillenbrand uh, from New York. Um, and I think that uh, that 
it's uh, indicative of how important this issue is becoming. Um, New York just passed the whole, um, you know, mining ban on non-green energy or something like that. So uh, I, I think Gillenbrand is uh, is showing that there's two sides of this coin, right? Like there's uh, there there's not just this very anti proof of work kind of uh, constituency in New York. Uh, but you know her, Eric Adams, some other people. They're they they definitely are dipping their toes into the Bitcoin political waters a little bit um, and trying to sort of distinguish themselves from maybe the more radical wing wing of their party that thinks like you know we should you know go backwards in civilization or something like that. So um, yeah, I, I I see this bill as a as an excellent step towards. Uh, you know, reasonable regulation. Um, and I've, uh, I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, Cynthia Lummis is once again leading this effort. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully in support of it. Um, and yeah, can't wait. I love the, the little Jimmy jab right there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we do this, we're just going to go back to the Stone Ages, but sure. Yeah, be <laughs> um, you know, we also saw a very interesting development out of New York State where mm -hmm you saw this crazy bill getting proposed, getting pushed through it. And now the governor turned around and was like, I'm not signing this. Like, mm. no, like let's, <laughs> let's talk this out. I mean, what is she really saying is she's waiting for the Bitcoin lobbyists to come give her a, mm. a little visit. But it's interesting that you, you can see these arguments forming between within the party lines. Like you said, mm -hmm. you have some Democrats like a Liz Warren, who's just Bitcoin is the devil. Proof of work, mm -hmm. energy, rrr, and you see a lot of these different buzzwords get thrown mm -hmm. around. And I'm curious, where's the first battle, the first real battle going to be fought, you think? We saw conversations happening on Congress between proof of work and proof of stake. We haven't really seen the conclusion drawn from that yet. We're starting to see a lot of conversations around energy consumption. We see in your state regulators working with miners to be more efficient about the grid and the resources that miners are using and how much resources citizens need. And I'm curious, these are just two examples, proof of work versus proof of stake, energy consumption. Are these maybe the first battlefronts that Bitcoin is going to have in the political realm or is it going to be something different? Well, I, um, it's a great question. We, we know where those things are coming from. I mean, we, we know uh, that Ripple is funding a lot of this stuff, and this this is their chosen attack vector. And I, I think, well, as Bitcoiners, we're going to be playing defense for a while, and it depends on who's attacking us. If it's the Ripple people attacking us, then they're going to have this ridiculous proof of work is bad argument, or, uh, hey, you need to change your proof of work to proof of stake uh, in order to be compliant or something like that. And they'll throw millions of dollars around. I don't think they'll be particularly successful, except, I mean, like they, they obviously got something through the legislature in New York. Uh, but, you know, even within uh, the Democratic Party, I don't think they've, you know, um, thrown enough cheddar around to, to, to make it work. I, I mean, politics gets very expensive at, at a certain point if you, if you want to, you know, take advantage of stuff like that, especially when you have a lot of vocal Bitcoiners. I, I think the Black Bitcoin billionaires like wrote a letter like against this bill in New York and, you know, uh, stuff like that matters to a lot of those uh, people. So, um, you know, you're, you're not going to see as many um, 
Elizabeth Warrens. I, I mean, she she's uh, got a very safe seat in Massachusetts, and that's that's a very different prospect than say somebody from Ohio or something like that, where you're going to have to fight for your seat. Um, and you know, it's it's not a coincidence that you have uh, you know people like Cinema, who's uh, one of the more conservative. Democrats, I, I would say, or the more moderate Democrats, um, you know, supporting stuff like this. Um, Gillenbrand, uh, you know, she she's uh, in New York, um, and it's uh, it's kind of surprising that it's her, honestly. But that's uh, you know, like politics makes strange bedfellows. What can you say? Um, I, I'm told that Cory Booker is very much on board with this sort of thing too, uh, and he's from New Jersey and a very popular you know, um, person in the Democratic Party. So I, I don't know, it, it's it's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, money only takes you so far. Um, it, it really does affect a lot of people, uh, especially, uh, you know, a lot of Black people who have been screwed out of the system, you know, um, in their ability to, uh, you know, pass down generational wealth and stuff like that. So um, you know, they, they're fighting for Bitcoin um, and saying, what, what the heck are you guys doing? So I, I, I don't know where the next real front on this battle is going to be, but really depends on, uh, on who our enemies are and where they choose to fund things. Because, you know, uh, like any enemy, like they're not going to go at you on, on your strongest front. Usually they're going to probe for a weakness and try to exploit that hole or something like that. I, I don't think this one's a very good one because you get pretty much no Republicans on board on that. Um, and you get maybe a small portion of the Democrats, but that's that's not going to be enough to derail something as big as Bitcoin. We don't need to spend all day on this. I want to give you, I think, a, a cap, but I'd love it if you maybe shared what your argument would be if you were to... You're, you're not on Bitcoin Magazine Live right now. You are mm -hmm. sitting in DC. You are standing in front of Congress and they are asking you, what is the difference between proof of stake and proof of work? Mm. Yeah, I, I would say, well, proof of work solves a Byzantine general's problem. It's the ability to know how to continue the ledger uh, without, uh, when, when you get different um, sort of data from different places, that's, that's it. Like, how do you figure out what's the canonical chain uh, without some sort of a, a central authority. That, that's, that's what the Byzantine general's problem is. And proof of work solves that. You just go with whatever has the most proof of work. And whoever has done the most proof of work, that's, that's your chain. And as long as everyone's coordinated on that, you have synced blockchains, you have, uh, you, you have databases that are completely consistent. That's the point, right? Like that's, that's why you need proof of work so that you have this decentralized coordination without any center. Uh, proof of stake, it's, it's not like that at all. It doesn't solve the Byzantine general's problem. And you need some sort of authority to tell the people that are signing, hey, this is what you need to sign. Um, and that, that, that kind of takes away the whole point of a blockchain in the first place. It's uh, if you have proof of stake and you have some authority that's telling you what, what, what the right thing to sign is, then you might as well just have everything in one place, right? Why, why go through this uh, decentralized and name only theater in order to, um, I don't know, like get around regulation or whatever. Uh, that, that's essentially what they're doing. So 
proof of stake is a very different animal than proof of work because it requires some coordination between the participants in order to execute. The whole point of proof of work is that you don't need such coordination. You can, you don't have to listen to anybody. You just look at the data objectively, check to see if it has the actual proof of work, and then you can move on. With proof of stake, you know, lots of people can sign lots of different things and they can deceive you as long as they have the will to do so. Um, and as, as soon as there's a profit motive, there, there it goes. It's, uh, it, you know, there, there's likely to be some sort of, uh, uh, you know, subversion of whatever consensus that you're trying to achieve. And you get inconsistent databases, at which point you have a fork coin um, and you, you, you have two separate databases that have completely separate uh, data. So um, that, that's a very bad situation to be in. I would say from a technical standpoint, it, uh, proof of stake doesn't solve what proof of work does. Do you hold, this is going to be the last DC question that we can get into this week's song sheet, I promise, because, oh man, did I, I felt attacked at the bottom 10. I, <laughs> I might be more fiat than I give myself credit for sometimes after I read your work, but I'm taking this from, from our chat. You know, we see Jerome Powell and the decisions he has made over the course of the last, how, how many years has he been in power now? Six or four? Regardless. <laughs> Regardless. He has made poor decision after poor decision after poor decision, continues to be given his position. Biden essentially reinstates him, lets him stay for however many more years he's going to stay. And I'm curious your thoughts on whether it is Powell to blame for the mismanagement of the Fed, or if it's the people who are putting him in these positions and telling him what to do? Yeah, I, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer because we, we don't know how these decisions are made. We like to think that it's just like one person that says, this is the way it's gonna be and y'all, y'all are gonna do what I say. Uh, but that's not how politics works. Um, even at the highest levels, it's, uh, you know, there are all sorts of political considerations and stuff. And these people get put into these positions because, you know, they listen to the right people or whatever. And uh, there, there's some level of influence that other people have over them. That, that's, that's why they get put in those positions. If they were completely independent and could do whatever they wanted, they wouldn't they wouldn't have gotten to where they did. Um, so it, it's hard to say, but I, I suspect that a lot of the blame is just uh, sort of like organizational momentum. Uh, you know, uh, the Federal Reserve is an organization and like any big organization, you, you have a certain way of doing things and uh, it tends to protect the people that are rent seeking uh, in some subtle way. Um, and that that's the, the way the Fed operates is to perpetuate the Fed continuously. Um, and, you know, that might be tightening at the moment um, and before it was loosening. Um, but I mean, the existence of the money printer is the problem. It, it isn't necessarily that, oh, Jerome Powell's done, done such a terrible job or whatever. Who knows how, how he's done his job. Um, the existence of the money printer means that there's always this uh, possibility for lots and lots of uh, theft through inflation. And that is indeed what's happened the last couple of years. Let's move on now to fiat marriages. <laughs> um, I loved how you started Perfect this simple. by 
by attacking uh, Ronald Reagan's decision in the state of California to, and I want to make sure I, I get this right, he revoked the the no-fault divorce. Or he, he created the no, uh, he signed into law of no-fault divorce. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit, A, like what, what effect did this have on just how divorces could be handled, the divorce rate in general, and like what this has in turn led to in 2022? Yeah, so a marriage has been something that's been government regulated, um, you know, for maybe a couple of hundred years or something like that. And largely it was at first to like enforce, uh, you know, interracial marriage laws or something like that. You can't, you know, this a person of this race can't marry a person of that race. Uh, later on, it became, um, you know, a way to enforce uh, the the anti-polygamy laws of uh, of. Uh, you know the Mormons and stuff like that. So uh, but can but I ask, it, ask yeah. some clarifying questions there because I thought that was super interesting. There was like there was one sentence in the, in the article about that, uh -huh. but I was trying to understand. So was marriage a was there not any legal uh, ramifications around marriage? Was it was it? Uh, only I mean, there, there there were. It's a contract, right? Like uh -huh. uh, you're you're promising something, and like any contract, you 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 have uh, judges and stuff, but you don't need to go and register the contract or anything like that, which is what the state requires now. Uh, you know, so if 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 you and I are, I, I agree to sell you pork bellies in three months for this much money, and I don't fulfill the contract. Uh, you know, it's a bilateral contract, but then, you know, whatever arbitration clauses we might have, we, we would go to a judge and the judge would say, okay, Jimmy didn't fulfill the terms to P and therefore here's what, you know, here's what I, uh, what, what would be a fair compensation for not doing that or whatever. That's how marriage contracts used to be settled as well. It's like, okay, you, you promised fidelity, you promised this, you promised that, and you didn't do it. So therefore this is, you know, this, this person's at fault for the dis, uh, dissolution of this contract, for breaking the contract. Therefore, you would have to do that. So it was a private contract. Um, it wasn't regulated by the government at all in that sense. But, you know, starting with uh, some of these like, uh, you know, interracial marriage laws and anti-political laws and stuff like that, the government stepped in and said, well, okay, uh, marriage contracts have to be this way, right? Like it has to have these elements in it. And uh, in particular, no-fault divorce was so bad in the sense that, okay, like you can't assign blame whenever the contract is dissolved. So that means you can't really promise fidelity or there's no legal consequences for not being faithful, right? And that's kind of the whole point of the marriage contract. I promise basically to be true to you, right? Like I'm not going to go have sex with anybody else or whatever. And that that is... That is the essence of that contract. And they took the essence of it away with no fault divorce saying, okay, well, you know, we're, we're not going to declare fault in any sort of uh, divorce proceeding. And we're just going to split things, you know, how, whatever way the judge decides. Um, and generally these days, I think it's uh, way more favorable <laughs> towards women. They almost always get custody and stuff like that. So it ends up being a terrible deal for young men in particular. Um, but the, it's, it's heavily regulated. It's, uh, you know, instead of making whatever contract you want, uh, which is what people used to do, and this is why you had witnesses at your wedding. It's, okay, what did you promise at the altar, right? It's, I promise oh, this, this, and this. And the other person, and so like, you have all of these, that's why you have witnesses, right? Like, that's, 
So they could say, okay, you know, I was there and this is what you said. And, you know, like you clearly didn't fulfill that. And the community was involved in sort of enforcing that contract as well and saying, well, you promised to do this and you didn't do this. That means that you're going to be at fault if you, if you don't do things this way. That's what a marriage was, right? Um, and it, it's even like higher than a contract in the sense that it's uh, supposed to be a covenant, right? Um, and like that's Christian language. It's, uh, it's, it's meant to be something that you don't just promise to the other person, but you promise before God. It's supposed to be like holy. It's, it's like at another level. It's one thing if I'm breaking some business contract with somebody, right? Like that's, you know, bad, but not quite as bad as like breaking a promise to God. That, that, that was the idea. Um, but the state came in, regulated it and made these contracts standard and saying, okay, well, whatever you want to promise, here's what you're actually promising, which is, okay, like you agree to share all this stuff and do, do all this stuff. And in case of divorce, this is what happens. That's what sort of thing. Can I, can I ask where there were there other types of covenants? I mean, there must have been like other types of covenants mm -hmm. from a that were sort of um, religiously based, or what is this? Was marriage the primary kind of covenant that people made that was kind of recognized? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say baptism is one, and in oh, Muslim culture, there's a uh, you know, I mean, like you 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 stop being Muslim, that that's a very serious offense, um, and there's because you're breaking all sorts covenant. of yeah, because right. that that's something that you publicly declare, and that's that's a covenant between you and God as well, um, and you know, I think in Jewish culture, there's a, there, there's a whole process of you know becoming a Jew that mm -hmm. you know that that, that yeah, like there yeah, I mean like there or Jewish conversion and all, yeah, all yeah. this other stuff, um, but yeah, they they usually have a very serious significance and you you have witnesses around all of this stuff so that if you do break these things then there are some serious consequences associated with them um and that that's the idea of a covenant now, contracts i mean like i i kind of agree in the sense that like somebody needs to enforce contracts right like if you're if you break a contract with somebody what do you do um and if some if somebody if you agree to something with somebody and then you suddenly break it, you know, somebody has to come in and, uh, or, you know, you, you have to have somebody be able to say, okay, well, here's what's fair. And here's, um, here, here's how you settle it. Um, but you know, like this, is, like no fault divorce, uh, takes it to another level because it's just saying, okay, instead of figuring out what's fair and giving sort of judges some leeway on figuring out, okay, all right, you cheated on him. Uh, clearly, that that means that it's your fault that the marriage is being dissolved. So therefore, like, we should be more, uh, you know, we should give more consideration to the aggrieved party. It's there's no fault ever, and you we we just have to split things, however uh, way based on their capabilities as a mother and father, or you know whatever, and, and not at all on fault which is which is the basis of you know how you determine who gets what in a contract dispute interesting so one thing so i'll say there's there's definitely a lot in this article that i'm like oh i totally do not agree about do not agree <laughs> with you on that which is great one thing that i that i thought from the from the beginning is would you say that because when i first you know read the first part my conclusion was like oh we agree that the the basis for this problem is the government stepping in and being like i'm from the government and i'm here to help <laughs> would, was that would you, would you i mean would you agree with that i guess 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and it's their standardization of the marriage contract that's been the problem, right? Mm. And so much of the trauma around divorce, like, uh, and, and you, you can see it just in the evidence, like, since no fault divorce laws have gone into play, divorce has skyrocketed. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's way more traumatic to the couple and, and to the children and to all of the immediate family around them. It, it, it's become this like giant industry. Now, I, and like the way I describe it is like, um, there was a survey done a while ago about like traumatic life events and how, how much they hurt the person internally. And they, they had stuff on there like, you know, loss of a loved one, um, you know, dismemberment, right? Losing an arm or something like that. Yeah. They, they also had divorce. By far, the number one thing was divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Like, by, by a good margin. So like, in a sense, it's like worse than dismemberment. Emotionally, we, we're all like, sort of like, anyone that's divorced has kind of gone through like an emotional dismemberment, right? Like it's, it's, it's a very traumatic and difficult thing. And we've only encouraged it with, with this law and making it like super standardized via government. And mm-hmm. I agree with you that it probably shouldn't be regulated like this at all. If any, anything, like people should be free to make whatever vows they want. I mean, if you want to make a vow saying, okay, well, you know, we'll be together for the next five years. And then if that works, then we'll have a, uh, an extension for another five. And, you know, you can even promise fidelity during that time or whatever, and make it marriage-like as possible. But as soon as the government steps in and says, okay, here's the standard contract, doesn't matter okay. what you want to agree to, we are going to make it this way. Um, I that, love it. That, I love that, it. That, pro- that produces all sorts of problems. And that's, that's essentially the problem here. Love it. Okay. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, what if people want to have these sort of like different types of agreements, but you literally just answered that. Uh, yeah, that's super interesting. <laughs> I mean, right now I'm thinking about Fiat Mind. Uh, mm-hmm. In How I Met Your Mother, there's a scene where Barney Stinson, the Playboy character, is getting married, and he starts to write his prenup, and it's like a, the joke is it's like a stack of papers, like this big, and some of the rules <laughs> are, for every pound, 10 pounds the wife gains, like that's one infidelity that he can have, kind of a situation, <laughs> it's like the absurd, oh, of most absurd rules, but like that, I think, to your point, P, like, in theory, you could create your own marriage contract and like dictate the most absurd of rules. I mean, yeah, but that, I mean, nobody is, 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 uh, or any, no one in this conversation anyway is advocating for that. But, uh, absolutely everyone should, everyone in Bitcoin should have a prenup. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I, I am well, absolutely the, the thing about a prenup is that it's basically a modification of the standard marriage contract mm-hmm. in, in case of divorce. And it's, it's a, it's a way to take some control back. And I kind of can't blame people that want one because the standard marriage marriage contract imposed on you by the state is just so incredibly vague and not a very tight union. Like I said in the article, it's it's a very loose union, and either party can break it for pretty much any reason that they like. Yeah. Um. So, like, if you if you want to have sort of like a supplement that makes sure that you're bound together a little better. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how enforceable that is. And like judges are very, um, you know, wishy-washy about enforcing some of it, but the, 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 at, at its heart, it's a legal problem because it, because of 
the government's ability to standardize marriage contracts, which I absolutely do not think that you, they should have the power to do. I mean, I agree. In this terrible state of California that we've already talked about, their marriage rules, like, you don't even have to be married to someone, but under the eyes of the law here, if you live with someone for 10 years, you are in essence married. Yep, that's and common law marriage. Yep. It, like, a friend right now after a nine-year relationship that just broke up and it's like a whole thing and i being the jackass was like hey at least you guys don't have to go through all the divorce stuff because like you got you got out of it the year before <laughs> i'm that asshole yeah the, uh, and and the the reason why common law marriage exists is because you know for a long time you didn't you never registered your marriage with the state so like by common law, it's like, well, you've been presenting yourselves as married. Maybe there were people at your wedding that can testify to it. it. You're considered married under that standard because it's none of the state's business. But once you have to register, now you have this weird, I don't know, like uh, combination between like uh, legal marriage and common law marriage. And they're trying to bring the two together and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's 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 really kind of a terrible system because, in a sense, when when you're common law married, you're married according to the contract that the state imposes. Well, it's like, uh, you know, it's basically saying, hey, you two, uh, here's a contract that you agree to, uh, despite you never even though you didn't agree to this contract. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's cool. It's so we, stupid. <laughs> we're saying you agreed to it. I mean, that's that's fine, right? Um, I think I think the the other side of the statement you made that basically because people can sort of dissolve a marriage uh, for any reason that that, you know, facilitates all these sort of bad things. And what I was going to say is, well, but, you know, do you you know, because you're mentioning like the sort of emotional dismemberment. And I was mm -hmm. thinking like, well, do you want to be do we want to force people to be in relationships if there is like profound dysfunction? And maybe that is actually more damaging for the people involved in children, which I think is true, but I think then <laughs> taking the other side of my other side, uh, I think you might say something like, well, just like Bitcoin, where you have transaction finality, like you should do that exploration before you agree to be married for the rest of your life. And you well, should figure I, that I mean, that, that's one aspect of it, but uh, like there, there were, you know, pre no fault divorce, there were divorces, right? Like, and it was perfectly legitimate for you to good point. All right, you say, got there. to divorce somebody if they are mentally torturing you or yeah, if yeah, they yeah. are if they're physically abusing you. The thing that no fault divorce added was the ability to end it for any reason. Before you had to actually have a good reason. This per, the my partner cheated on me or you know they they are physically abusing me or you know, they're taking all my money and forcing me to stay at my house and not letting me out, right? Like what, whatever it was, if you had a good reason, you could get a divorce. I, it's not saying like, you can't ever divorce. Now you're, you're forced to be married and you're in this union no matter what. If, you know, like part of the marriage vow is I promise to love you and cherish you and all that stuff. If you're not doing any of that, or if you're breaking the contract in some reasonable way, then of course you can get out. That's called fault. At that point, it's the other person's fault. It, um, and I, I don't think you have to like force anybody to do anything, especially if uh, the other side is, uh, is breaking their side of the contract. That's fine. The thing that's really bad is that 
people are using it as any excuse. Uh, or Like they don't have to give a reason. They don't have to justify it before a judge or a court or anything like that. They just sort of do it and say, you know what? Like, I'm unhappy. It doesn't, uh, I'm not even sure if it's you, but I'm getting out of this marriage. Why? Um, just because I don't, I don't feel like it anymore, but you promise. Well, you know, like it would be one thing to say, well, you're, you keep punching me in the face. That's why I want to get out. Um, you know, it's another to be like, well, I just don't feel like it anymore. It'd be like, okay, I, you know, I just don't feel like paying you rent anymore. I, I don't feel like, uh, paying my, uh, you know, insurance premium on my car anymore, but I still want you to, you know, pay for my, you know, like it's, there are hmm. contracts, right? Like that, that's the whole point of a contract. You, you yeah. make agreements and consideration for something that the other person is providing. If one side breaks it, then it's fine to dissolve the contract, but you have to have a reason. And that's, so you, that's when, yeah. I'm so I think the solution to kind of the, the vague, like concern that I'm stating is mm -hmm. again, you, you would agree about these things prior mm -hmm. to the contract. So if you people wanted to have clauses that were like, if I'm unhappy for any reason, then <laughs> you and I might disagree with that with agree with somebody who wanted that. But at the same time, it sounds like you're saying like, yeah, sure. Like if that's what they want to agree to beforehand, yeah, then I guess they can. Yeah. I mean, legally, generally you want something a little more objective. So if, uh, if after, you know, like three separate psychiatrists, psychiatrists say that you're, you know, you're profoundly unhappy because of the other person or something like that, then maybe, I, I don't know, like uh, it, there are ways to sort of like figure that out. The thing is like, um, you know, at the time, I could kind of understand why Ronald Reagan signed that into law and why lawmakers were so enthusiastic to adopt it. Because so many people, because so many people were just lying, right? Yeah. Like, I think New York's the last uh, state to actually add no fault divorce. And before that, there were like, uh, you know, women that were paying their husband's secretaries to say that they were having an affair so they could get a divorce and stuff like that. So like, it, it gets it gets kind of like, there, there's a lot of like uh, human depravity that shows in divorce court. And I know this because I've been an expert witness in like divorce cases or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, the, the, those are those are some of the most like traumatic places to be. Um, and like, there, and it's only gotten worse with the no fault divorce stuff. Uh, and it's uh, it, the, that's the irony of it all. They, they tried to stop a lot of this lying and stuff, but actually it's gotten even worse because, you know, like a lot, there, there's a, all sorts of fat, false accusations that are thrown around in any sort of divorce proceeding because it gets so bitter. It, it, the thing is like, once you have clear faults, some, somebody cheats on somebody else, right? Like it's very clear who, who's at fault there. Um, then you, you can kind of have like, okay, well, one person knows that they have less leverage because they're the one that cheated or whatever. And you could come up with some sort of settlement, but if it's like there, it's not clear whose fault it is. It, it actually makes the fight much worse because it's no, it's your fault. It's your fault. And, you know, um, it, you know, like there, this is why divorce has gotten way more traumatic with, with this debasement. Q, I've been I've been going for a while. What are your thoughts? I mean, I want to talk a little bit about now the effects of present day. I mean, the, uh, there was also one little quip I wanted to throw out. Another legitimate reason in the past that was given to divorcing your wife was if she did not give you a, a son, as King Henry VIII kind of <laughs> did to, to a majority of his wives. 
Um, well, that that was actually an illegitimate reason, which is why the Catholic Church excommunicated him, actually. So even oh, a king yeah. couldn't divorce for that particular reason. Um, you, you just got but, hoisted on your own petard. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you kind of I, put... I, I like, the, the thing so is, much. like, there, uh, there might have been legit or illegitimate reasons, and they might not agree with the social mores that we have at the pre present moment. But at least there were rules and you kind of like agree to those rules before you get into the marriage, right? Like it's a voluntary contract that you enter into rather than here's a contract that we're going to that you agree to, even though you didn't actually agree to it because we're the state and we could do that. And yeah, that that's what's an anathema. You know, we reference a little bit in this article, uh, maybe more so at the end than actually in the meat of it. Um, well, actually, we'll get into the Tinder of it all later, but <laughs> I want to I want to get a sense of this idea that you proposed of how money and what marriage has become are no different. Mm -hmm. um, you bring up a very interesting fact that the no fault divorce began in 1969 and just two years later, we're off the gold standard. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, our standards for marriage quickly dissolved and so too did our standards for money. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see these two? events or things in our society interwoven yeah so a, a lot of it is sort of like this um very inward turn that happened uh as a result of fiat money so you know post-world war ii i think um mostly through you know the ability to money print uh, you know i bring up I, I brought up in the article the whole great great society programs which is once the government has this power of money printing, it's it becomes incumbent on, on them to pretty much solve every problem for you, right? Like, and this has had a devastating uh, effect on black on the black community, as I point out in, in the article. But part of it is that okay, well, this problem exists, and the government must solve it for me, or else they're being complete jerks, right? It's kind of like that Superman dilemma. Why why isn't Superman constantly rescuing things? Because He's Superman. He can like go do everything. Why isn't he constantly doing something? Um, that that's what the government becomes with the ability to money print, and in a sense, uh, no fault divorce was sort of like trying to take people out of their own misery a little bit, right? It's uh, okay. Well, you're having to lie and do all this stuff in order to get out of this marriage. We're just going to make it super easy for you by imposing this top down contract on every marriage, no matter what. Um, and it, it's that sort of like top down imposition that, you know, ultimately caused the 1971 break with gold. And if you look at the history of no fault divorce, California was just the first in 1969. But other states follow through over the next few years. So like they they kind of occurred at the same time. And it, it was this inward turn of, okay, what are you going to do for me? Right? Like, it, it's this okay, how, how am I going to use the government to benefit me rather than sort of like what goods and services can I offer to the world so that I can make money? Um, it, it's, it's, it's that sort of fiat mentality turn that happened in both things uh, where, you know, um, you know, I talk about like this uh, focus on the word love, which is really profoundly self-serving rather than, you know, like, thinking of it from a greater perspective of, you know, a sacred order or, uh, you know, being a part of a family or uh, continuing a line or, uh, or, or anything like that. 
none of those things like come into play once you have this very self-centered focus. And that that's the mentality from which uh, no fault divorce and, you know, uh, essentially like uh, having to steal more money from everybody else, which is what the ending of the gold standard did. Um, that that's the, those are from the same sort of like root thing of focusing on yourself, which is ultimately from, you know, the, uh, turn to fiat money and being the world's reserve currency. Sorry. I couldn't find where, uh, where our zoom chat was. <laughs> um, I'm now curious, you know, we see, we have seen through the digital age, I think the monetization of, of love in particular, you see mm. like E-Trade's been around since I was a kid for Christ's sake. And like mm -hmm. you see so many of the original inception of like a dating profile or online dating had this stigma around it. And I'm wondering in your opinion, when did that stigma get shifted to now I've seen people who genuinely have gotten married to people they met on Tinder. And <laughs> like, I'm going to be an asshole who says this, but like, I've been to way too many weddings at this point in my life to believe that every last one of them are going to be forever. Like mm -hmm. I'm that asshole. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, like in the present day, we've, I feel like this shift in the value of love has exponentially changed. It is mm. so far removed from what it was before I was born, I would say, I think mm. the 90s was a good, that that shifting point away with the internet, with the introduction of the internet, mail mm -hmm. order brides. Like, mm -hmm. If you have enough money, you can have love. And I'm, <laughs> I'm curious, like, what in your opinion has caused this change? Is it just the incessant printing that has led to more money equals love? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because even like, uh, you know, like 50 years ago, like a lot of people thought of uh, like a marriage in terms of duty and family and order and things like that. And, you know, setting themselves up and their kids up for the future, having children, you know, like th those are the main concerns. Like post no fault divorce, post 1971, it started becoming way more about how do I be fulfilled through a marriage? It becomes uh, sort of like this very much um, uh, a self-actualization almost uh, thing where it's all about your own happiness. And if the marriage doesn't make you happy, you should drop it like, you know, whatever, instead of, okay, I'm part of this order uh, uh, of this greater thing. And, you know, it's my duty to continue or whatever. There, There's almost none of that now. Um, and, you know, like Tinder is a really good example of how that's become the primary thing because once you remove stuff like duty and order or even children, um, you know, the, the primary thing becomes, okay, how do I make sure that I am satisfied, right? Like either sexually or from a status perspective, right? Like, uh, okay, like, will this person make me look good and at, at a party or something like that? And that, that be, that's become sort of like the primary measurement stick and of course like if that's your only measurement stick then you know a, an app like uh tinder makes all the sense in the world because you 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 have a lot more choices than you would in the traditional sort of dating environment where 
there aren't nearly as many. But of course, that that has its own effect because most people I know that are on Tinder are serving Tinder and not themselves, right? Like they think they're like making themselves happy. They're actually making Tinder the company very happy. Uh, but it, like all the all the men that I know on Tinder say it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to dating. All the women on Tinder say it's the worst thing that's ever happened on dating. So nobody's happy on that thing. But it's based on, uh, you know, taking advantage of that selfish I mean, desire, right? Some people are happy on Tinder. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, granted, yeah, there, there's a- uh, None of us are good looking enough to be happy on Tinder. No, no, no I, I'm just, I'm, I'm letting you all know. making a bad joke. <laughs> as as someone who has know. used Tinder, it's none of us are good looking show. enough. Yeah, um, I'm a personality I, guy. I'm, I'm so glad I got married way before like Tinder was a thing. You're like, you kids and your crazy bullshit. Uh, I think it's, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right. I, I think it's interesting though because for me, I think that the it's like one has to. It is not good for one to eat sugar all the time because mm -hmm. that will rot your fucking teeth. And we have evolved as organisms to process more complex carbohydrates and it will destroy you and your gut. Mm -hmm. And I think like the, I'm just being long winded and say that I, I, uh, I agree with you about Tinder. It just, it facilitates, <laughs> it, it's very, it's, it's, uh, it's like a sugary soft drink. It's cool. Yeah, that's what I'm trying right? to say. Yeah. I'm trying to say that you, you, you're better with words. You, well, I mean, but, and it's kind of true because in a sense, like if you focus solely on love, right. Which is, which I define at the beginning of the article as sort of like an intensity of emotion. I mean, that that's the high that you're always going to get through something like Tinder is okay. Well, I, I feel desired and I, I, I had that like, and it's very that's addictive, right? Like for, for, uh, for, yeah for you if you're if you're getting that or whatever so that that's what everyone is after and that that sort of numbs you to everything else around the marriage right um especially stuff like children and legacies and family Commitment. and yeah yeah like and and that's that's the thing that that's sort of like the message of hope that i was trying to convey at the end of the article which is you know, if you are in Bitcoin, you start thinking about a legacy, about the future, about like sort of low time preference behavior. And ultimately, the real actual self-fulfilling thing from a low time preference perspective is the traditional view of marriage where you do have fidelity for life and where you do have this uh, place to go raise children where they have a stable environment to grow up in and where you can like invest a lot into them. Um, and, you know, make for uh, some meaning in your life rather than sort of, okay, I, I feel good right now. And therefore that's, that's good enough. Instead, you're actually working towards something. And I think that's where, where a lot of Bitcoiners end up is um, this, this place of wanting to leave a legacy of having meaning of, uh, of doing something worthwhile rather than, you know, just it makes me happy right now. And I'm getting this uh, emotional equivalent of a sugar rush um, all the time. And, you know, I mean, honestly, it's just going to make you emotionally fat and lazy and unhealthy, uh, which I think is the unfortunate reality for most users of Tinder. So we're about to now do, in my opinion, my favorite part of a Bitcoin <laughs> song sheet wrap up. Uh, and I will be honest. I'm going to do mine last. I've already told Chris what I'm 
what I'm going to do. I'm going to surprise you, Jimmy, this week with what I'm going to say. Uh, I will let Chris go first. I know he's really excited to share which one of the bullet points uh, most spoke to him. Uh, I, I love these bullet points, Jimmy, at the end of all your articles lately. Um, I, I mean, I mean, the one that stands out to me is 10 things you, you won't do for love. And number four for you is sell your awesome MMO RPG character, a massive multiplayer online role-playing character on eBay. Uh, so I guess what were you trying to connect that with? I just, I just want to hear you expand on it. I think it's funny. <laughs> so I, I won't name who, but somebody told me that, um, that they may have gotten divorced because they were playing a little bit too much World of Warcraft. So I, I'm not going to say who it was, but I have heard this from somebody before. So, yeah. I love that. P, you're next. Well, I'm, it's interesting because I love this list so much more. I misread it as uh, like 10 things you should do for love. But I, I like it so much more as 10 things you won't do for love. And it's, you're totally right. It's hilarious. I think quit drinking is an interesting one. Uh, I certainly drink. But I think that uh, it can be a crutch for many, myself included at times. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that's a very interesting one because it really is something that I think that for a lot of people, it's it's a form of uh, of like of self medication that kind of like dulls you out, mm. and it can be a great you know social crutch. But uh, I think it can. A lot of the time, uh, even when it's not like a quote unquote problem, it can really take away from. Uh, meaningful relationships and connections. So mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting one. It was deep. It was deep <laughs> I, I just listed stuff that I thought people had prioritized over love. Cause like they started say stuff like, Hey, I, I would do anything for love. Right. I, okay, I, I, I will this. do every, like, I yeah. love you so much. I will do anything. And then you, you list any of these things and they're like, no, I won't do that. Right. Like it's, yeah, and that, that, that's, that's the thing that. they're like what people say versus what they actually what their actions reveal is, is that actually it's not that much of a priority they just like the feeling it's a sugary drink right like that that's that that's what it is for them instead of this virtue that love is supposed to represent where you learn patience and kindness and you know to not be envious or to not boast and all all of these other things that come with love or the virtue like it's all been thrown by the wayside and instead you know you'd rather go drink or you know um you know be lazy or uh flirt with other people on tinder or whatever like that's it th this is this is the actual reality at this point uh of of what love represents for most people so i'm gonna brag about myself because i'll be honest <laughs> i read this list and I think it like really, I mean, I love my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Love you, Stevie Moore. Thank you very much for being a part of my life. And reading this list, I was like, I've done half of these things for you and <laughs> only validate how much I love you. So instead, I'm doing this You're to only strength said to her too later. strong. Okay, we get it. Things, things, things I have done for you, Stevie Moore, include put my phone away when you ask. Uh, <laughs> I tolerate your unemployment, but you are unemployed right now. If anyone knows of any recruiting jobs open, shoot me a DM. <laughs> uh, I've uninstalled Tinder and other dating apps. Uh -huh. I quit smoking cigarettes, so I didn't quit uh -huh. drinking. I don't really drink. Uh, I will have kids with you one day. I have sat through many a boring dates and I, <laughs> I'm saving and getting us out of debt. So boom. there you go. There's true love for you. True love. True love. Tell me I don't love so you. Cute. Look, if, if nothing 
I mean, you did ha you're doing some of the things on the list. I mean, that's all it takes. Just a few of them. You just got, I will not do deadlifts. I will not do deadlifts for love. Oh, you will. You will. You will. I like as, well, as a man, you, you have to understand your testosterone levels, you know, start fluctuating as you get older. Deadlifts are a good way to get them back. So you'll do it even if it's for yourself so that, you know, she can see you more as a man. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> she sees me plenty as a man. Thank you for that. I'm just song. saying later on, you know, as, as you, things happen you know um and th this is also why a lot of a lot of men are into red meat because that that's also a testosterone boosting thing and stuff like look that. i'm gonna come down to texas we're gonna eat some 72 ounce steaks and do some deadlifts <laughs> Jimmy. that's my takeaway from this conversation yes that's a date uh jimmy for the people who live under a rock who don't actually know where can they stay up to date where plug away with whatever you want to plug right now my friend all right. Well, I have uh, I have a website, programmingbitcoin.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and, and uh, learn more about my books and stuff like that. But my Twitter is at Jimmy Song, and that's where I post almost all my stuff, including podcasts and things like that that I'm on and that I produce, that the various you know Bitcoin song sheet articles that I make, I, I, I will record and post them up on, uh, on YouTube as well. And, uh, yeah, so a lot of different places. Hopefully you find me at one of those things. Give them a follow. If you're not already, everyone, I don't feel like going to commercial and rapping, Jimmy, you don't need to hang out while I do our obligatory shills. Thank you so much for joining us, man. <laughs> Thanks for having Thanks, me guys. Always a pleasure. Right. As a reminder, Bitcoin 2023 tickets are on sale now locking these tickets before prices go up next week. These are the cheapest tickets available. They will never be cheaper than this. You already missed the cheapest, cheapest tickets, but these are the next cheapest. So quit being a cheap skate and buy these cheap tickets. I don't know how many more times I could say cheap without it freaking everyone out, but cheap, cheap. Moonmag, honestly, I'm gonna, he's gonna hate this. He's gonna be so bad. Everyone needs to go buy the Moonmag because Alex McShade has a typo in his article. Look, Alex McShane is one of the smartest, well-spoken, like understands the English language better than most people. And you need to have this receipt for the future. Just trust me on this. If you don't even subscribe to the mood bag, just go buy this and like save it. So you have the pages with Alex McShane's article with the typo forever. I mean, to it be It will fair, be the last typo Alex McShane ever publishes. I'm telling you right now. To be fair, publishing as i understand it a simple man publishing a an edition of a magazine involves hundreds of people if not you know by extension thousands so i think it can be said i mean there is an editorial team whose job it is to review all the word pieces and make sure that they fit together in the right way in the standard grammatical format i don't know if mcshane can be blamed for this atrocity against the human language no it's it's not his fault it's joe rogers's fault it's entirely, completely, and utterly Joe Rogers' fault. Joe. We're coming for you, Joe. We're coming. That's a wrap, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one. Adios.